You're listening to a Galactic Network podcast. For more, go to GNCast.com. We're the answers. Here's a production of Galactic Network. I'm Gregor Sprague. And I'm Corey Scott. For all info on this show, including show notes and subscription links, go to elsnerds.com. And for other Galactic Network programs, go to gncast.com. On Elsnerds, we might spoil things for you. We might say some bad words. And we might have Tom Merritt show up. Damn. Yeah, that's the case um, this week. We have the author of Boiling Point, Citadel 32. Um, his latest book, Pilot X, and a uh, podcaster and host of such shows like Cord Killers, which he was just on not too long ago, DTNS, um, both of which I listened to while at work, so that was awesome. Um, Pretend I'm Dumb About Star Wars, FSL Tonight, and so much more. Tom, how are you doing, sir? I am fantastic. Thanks, you guys, for having me on. Not Thank a you problem. For being here. I'm actually wearing a Twin Peaks shirt in your honor. Ah, that's a damn fine shirt. Corey, you're all right. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't seen Twin Peaks, so I wouldn't know the reference. You should be watching the show and listening along to uh, Tom and Ron do their show, Damn Fine Podcast. Yes, definitely. Now's your chance Um, to get in on the cult. Yeah. So we're going to kick things off with the Elts Nerds, Elts News of the Week. And um, we're kicking things off with Basically, the CW getting a whole nother show. I mean, a whole nother superhero show. I mean, they've got every day of the week except Friday that has a superhero show or a comic book show for that matter. So why not add another one? Um, Greg Berlanti's Black Lightning moves to the CW with a uh, pilot pickup. Now, Black Lightning, that's from, Corey, that's from the Wildstorm universe, is that correct? No, uh, Black Lightning is kind of a seminal character, one of the first African-American characters in comics and certainly in, in DC's universe has been around since the seventies. I believe Denny O'Neill did one of the most definitive runs of the character, uh, but he was in Batman, the outsiders in the eighties. He, I remember a story distinctly where he was invited to join the justice league and he decided against it because he felt like they didn't concentrate on street level crimes and uh, urban neighborhoods. And he just thought that was not really for him but has been utilized so much. He has two daughters in the DC universe as well, or has over time, uh, one of which was part of an outsiders group years later that was run by Dick Grayson and Roy Harper, and another one that was part of the JSA. Nice. So, Tom, how are you Are you familiar, besides the uh, Crash Course introduction of uh, Black Lightning, how, how familiar are you with him? I am not familiar at all with Black Lightning, so I'm I'm very curious to see how this blends in to the DCW uh, that is shaping up every DC show coming to the CW, which is great. I actually enjoy three of the four very much, and Legends of Tomorrow is okay. I you know I, I I go in and out on on my love of that. I like a lot of the characters, but they're all very different uh, in in tone, right? And so bringing in Black Lightning sounds like it's it's a way to take something that's even farther from each other than the, the other ones, which is cool. Yeah. 
Um, the other thing I, I sort of wonder is, are we getting to a point with the DCW uh, shows like you so elegantly elegantly coined there, where we're going to hit oversaturation and where we're going to run into the problems of sh some shows are going to have to leave in order to get these new shows? Well, they may be hedging their bets a little bit there, right? Uh, by bringing in another one, that way you you are able to drop one. Arrow's been going for a while. They're going to drop the flashbacks after this season. And I, as much as I like that show, and it was the first one, I don't know how much longer you can run that show. Yeah. Yeah, they've already had characters that have died and then have to search for replacements for on that show. They've gone through two different sort of ensemble casts to uh, have them have a team Arrow. Uh, one team that was all based around being Arrow light, and now the new team, which is uh, more uh, various form of heroes, uh, which to me is more interesting because it gives us aspects of a Justice League without actually giving us a Justice League. But yeah, you're right. The the tonal difference of the shows is part of what makes it work. Uh, Supergirl is very lighthearted and and has a a good element to it that's sort of totally felt similar to the flash when it first started but i think has improved and got its own voice a little bit more while it still seems like she steals a little too much from the superman mythos you can't really say that that's weird because they do the same thing with arrow ripping off batman left and right yeah and what i, I like original, right yeah exactly and what i like about black lightning is if they follow the character from the comics he was a school teacher which is something that i don't think we've seen represented in any of the shows so far. And if they do have it follow him as a father, that's another aspect that we haven't really seen much of. So I think that there's a lot that could be played with on top of the fact that it's a person of color, which we haven't had a lead on one of the shows be that yet. No, yeah, definitely. Um, I, I am looking forward to this, but I do wonder, you know, Arrow makes sense in the logical, you know, they've, I think we made the joke on an, on a an, uh, past episode of when we get to season six, are they then going to talk about hit, do a flashback to his first year in stars in Starling city and stuff like that? Or, or, you know, how are they going to re rework the show? But it could make sense to, for that to eventually be replaced and all that. But I don't know. It's, it's I mean, Legends like, of Tomorrow is the light, the more likely one to be replaced because it's yeah. just not as popular, and they're having a hard time finding the 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 real direction of that show. But it's also newer, so they're they're you know not spending as much money on it. the The stars haven't been as round. The contracts aren't are building up uh, as 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 high as as they get on an older show. So I look at Arrow and I think, yeah, okay, season six. They can probably do can they can they stretch it to a seven or or beyond? It's hard to see. Yeah. Right. And plus, we're also seeing with some of the characters that have been on these shows, them getting contracts that allow them to cross over between all the different shows as opposed to being tied down to one program. And that's happened more with the villains. Um, but uh, Mr. Freeze and uh, John Barrowman's character and uh, I think Zoom is one of them. They're all getting utilized in ways that they're not strictly a Flash character or an Arrow character, but they get to work their way between all the different programs. And so if Stephen Amell decides not to continue with Arrow, that doesn't mean that he doesn't get to still be Green Arrow on other programs. Yeah, which which may be a, a better option to say, let's let's pay Steve his rate to show up as a guest star from time to time on Black Lightning, on Supergirl, and get a big pop out of that 
versus continuing to to play that. I that said, I, I really don't see them canceling Arrow anytime soon. Uh, no. And the fact that they're bringing Black Lightning in means that they're bullish. They're they're riding the the, the hot wave here. And how how does Fox pass on this? Is it because they look at the CW and they say everyone's going to think it's a CW show because it's Berlanti anyway? Uh, it's not going to fit. Uh, I, I just uh, I don't quite understand why they would be so committed to it and then at the last minute drop it. I think it's I think it could have been something along the lines of like Fox has this innate ability to just cancel greatness. Mm. Um like shows that could be really great and then they go, eh, no, sort of deal. Um but I don't know, Corey, what do you think? Uh, I think that what it probably is is that Fox was expecting it was gonna star Sinbad. Because Sinbad had done the Saturday Night Live skit in the 80s where Black Lightning was the only one not invited to Superman's funeral. <laughs> and, I mean, why would you not want to get Sinbad back? <laughs> so they probably said, have some no, kind of option on his contract, too. Yeah, I would think. Uh, the last thing I, I actually remember him being in was an episode of American Dad. So, who knows? No, yeah, true. And also, I do think I want to add that I believe with like the Vampire Diaries is their final season... So the CW does have openings. It's just they are eventually going to, they might as well change their name to DCW or something like that. I mean, they're they're trying to be the millennial network, right? Yeah. But it is mostly genre shows. I mean, Jane the Virgin is is a pretty big hit that's not it squarely in that genre. Um, but Crazy everything else has a horror or sci-fi aspect to it, even Riverdale. Yeah. yeah, Riverdale definitely has taken the the comic idea into a completely different direction. Um, but they, when they've tried other things, they just they seem to kind of be very hit or miss in landing more on the miss side, which is too bad. Uh, Jane the Virgin has has done well. Crazy Ex Girlfriend is an excellent show and shows a lot of originality and has gotten good recognition. But I don't know if it's gotten the numbers that it should. But at least yeah, they yeah. they followed up with it and give it another season. Uh, I think it's been renewed for seasons three already, which is great. But yeah, at some point they need to think about diversifying a little bit more. Uh, and the question is, how many more seasons are we going to get out of shows that have been there for so long, like Supernatural, which is a hit show, but can't continue indefinitely? Apparently it can, though. Like that, I remember it being teased in Smallville after what's his name left small village yeah. supernatural that's it, it's been forever like i didn't have wi-fi i think when when that show first on the air <laughs> yeah yeah i think i might have still been recording buffy episodes on my yeah, computer right. because i didn't have the ability to burn discs on my tivo yet exactly nice and i think i barely i just got high speed internet at that, at that point <laughs> um <clears throat> but yeah so the next story is one that Tom, you actually covered on Sword and Laser. Um, that's the apocalyptic comedy Good Omens or Good Omens, sorry, from American Gods authors coming to Amazon as a limited series, a limited event series. So this, I don't know anything about this at all. Ooh. Um, yeah, it's the sheltered life I've li lived. Um, but yeah, so it's all I know is that Neil Gaiman is involved with it and. Neil Gaiman co-wrote the the book with Terry Pratchett, who uh, unfortunately recently passed away uh, just in the last two years, I think. Um, but they wrote the series. It's kind of a version of it's it's 
it would, I would compare it to the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, except about the apocalypse instead of space. Yeah, it's 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 the it's a beautiful meeting of minds, and and we already miss Terry Pratchett, uh, even though he's only been gone for less than two years, and it's it's bittersweet to see this finally come to television without Mr. Pratchett around to appreciate it. But Neil Gaiman's the showrunner of this. And so yeah. if anybody can keep Pratchett's spirit alive in it, it's Neil Gaiman who wrote this book with Pratchett. And it is the best of both of their senses of humor and darkness combined. I mean, it's it's basically an angel and a demon uh, when the apocalypse begins to come and there's the four horse people of the apocalypse and the angel and the demon are kind of like, lower level, you know, mid-level employees of their various organizations who know they're really supposed to be in competition, but, you know, occasionally hang out and chat and share, share tips about their various workplaces. Yeah. They're, they're, they're work rivals that are still kind of buddy, buddy. It's, it's, you're not my favorite person in the world. I know I'm not supposed to like you, but I feel more comforted by the fact that I see you every day than some of the other people that I'm actually supposed to be on the same side with. No, it and and really as I cool. recall, because it's been a long time since I've read it, but they they essentially they try to subvert the apocalypse. Yeah, because um, Agnes Nutter, which is the one who prophesies that it's going to end on a Saturday. Uh, and so the armies of good and evil all get together for, for one last final battle. And these two employees are like, well, maybe it shouldn't end. I mean, that, is it their way out of this? You know, just again, like your your classic average employee who's like, oh man, I really, really don't want that. I just Saturday I just doesn't work for me. Have a nice life. <laughs> no, it sounds cool. And now, I mean, Neil Gaiman. I know he's done writing for like Doctor Who. Has he ever show show run anything though? Well, he has worked in. In, in and on shows. So he's written, like you say, for Doctor Who. Uh, he was involved very closely with Brian Fuller on American Gods, which of course we have yet to see. Uh, but yeah, I think this is his first time actually being the showrunner. So it's a big step up. Yeah. Yeah. And he's he's worked on scripts for his movies throughout time. He's been in development hell with things like Sandman. Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, and, and a lot of other stuff for so long. Uh, that I think he he's certainly got the ins in in Hollywood when it comes to to doing this kind of series. Uh, it's just that he's finally starting to get some of the recognition. Like, this book was written when he was still, I think, pretty early into the time of yeah. writing Sandman. So people thought of him as a comic book writer, not a novelist. And I think this was also around the time that he was starting to release books of short stories. And people were seeing, oh, there's a lot more to this guy than just his Vertigo work. But it also was co-written with Terry Pratchett, who was a very prolific writer that had a huge fan base and people had an expectation of. Neil had also written uh, a book for uh, Douglas Adams about the Hitchhiker series that, um, again, kind of shows where his interests lie. You know, he's always had a, a thing for for that kind of comedic, semi-buddy comedy thing. Uh, but he does do dark fiction really well. He did a lot of Lovecraft style stories uh, and stuff in the Lovecraft universe. I think this is a, a great example of something that he can do. And and like Tom said, we'll show mad respect to Terry because he's very uplifting to the, to the other authors that he's either worked with or known or admired. Uh, he's never going to underserve them by putting his stuff first. But I think it's it's about time to see him get to lead a project and, and have it come to full fruition as opposed to have it like, oh, we've been hearing about the Sam M movie 
and uh, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's going to do it, and all this stuff is going to happen, and then it just disappears. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Do you got anything else you want to add, Tom? Uh, not, you know, nothing, nothing else except uh, to note that the apocalypse in the book takes place in 2018, and the TV show will debut on Amazon and BBC in 2018. It's kind of funny how some of these things are working out where yeah, the right. timing is landing just right because the Twin Peaks coming back at, at around the 20 year mark when it was the last thing that was said is I'll see you in 20 years. Yeah. It's really interesting. Like we're, we're just kind of everybody who's been a geek about these things for so long has gotten to the point where we're, we're either in the industry or we're all such big fans that we're kind of like, what happens if Twin Peaks come back, came back right at the time that it should? You know, what happens if a book that talks about the apocalypse in 2018, which now seems a little more feasible than I wanted to, um, <laughs> actually, we get that book made into a TV series right then. That's that's pretty ideal. Yeah, good set dressing. Way to piss off all the Back to the Future fans who still <laughs> are waiting for their hoverboards. Oh, we, we got a couple of things that were very hoverboard-like. <laughs> yeah. And we got self-lacing shoes. So, you know, and we got the Cubs. Not that I enjoyed that personally as a Cardinals fan, but a lot of people did. Yeah. Oh, trust me, I'm a Lions fan. I know pl about plenty of regrets. Yeah. <laughs> well, that is it for the Else News, and we will be right back. If you like what you've heard on this Galactic Network podcast, please consider helping us out financially by going to gncast.com support. On that page, you'll find links to our Patreon campaign where you can make a small recurring monthly pledge of as little as $1. Or click on our Amazon affiliate link, make a purchase, and we get a very small percentage from the sale. Again, go to gncast.com support. And thank you for supporting the Galactic Network podcast. And we are back and it is time with the El for the Else Views with Tom Merritt. Um, and so uh, we each picked something that we've been, you know, just digging over the past while. Um, and I think I'll kick kick mine off first since um i'm i'm i've loved the show i've loved the top gear boys for a while now um i should say the grand tour guys um and you know the see the first series finale has concluded and so why not talk about the grand tour now tom have you been watching the, uh, the grand tour no i've never been a top gear fan uh and you know i watched a little bit of the first episode of the grand tour just to see that intro where jeremy clarkson and amazon kind of thumb their noses at the bbc hilarious when yeah. they're you know cooperating on the good <laughs> omen that we just talked about but uh that was really funny to see that but yeah it's i have not watched any of this season yeah no yeah it's i mean it i've enjoyed it as again as a top gear fan um but I do have problems with the show. They've set up in there. They set up, you know, replacing their uh, star in a reasonably priced car with, um, you know, celebrity brain crash, where it's basically a joke of, oh, they killed like Jeremy Renner, um, uh, Army Hammer, and uh, oh, uh, uh, Carol Vorderman in the first episode, and by these different accidents that have happened, and they kept on going. I'm like. You know, it is where it is funny in the moment. I would like to see them actually do this thing, not just it's time for celebrity brain crash and oh, their brain crashed into a mine or something like that. Um, like it, it doesn't seem like that would last for you know continued seasons on. 
um, one of the things I do recommend for, especially for car fans, is to watch it with the X-ray um, on Amazon. I've watched every episode twice. Once just sitting down and watching it the second time, you know, either watching it on my tablet with the X-ray turned on the whole time or every like five seconds moving the mouse to see another tidbit because there's so many facts that they don't get to say about the car that they'll put in here or if they use a British uh, British word that we don't have in the American language, they'll be like, this is what it means or or, or stuff like that. And there's a couple times where I'm like, is Jeremy Clarkson writing these? Because they seem to paint him in the best picture ever and just pick on, Jer- on James May. And you must have approval over him then. <laughs> yeah. And it's, you know, it's really cool. The, you know, the cars are really, really cleverly done. I, I do, I actually don't mind the American they got for their Stig. It's a guy named uh, Mike Skinner, um, who's a former NASCAR driver to do the test drives. And it just, it seriously just makes me wish that they had a star in a car or something like that, because it would be cool to see, um, you know, see them race, see them talk about the cars, especially when we had the not so great season. That was uh, this last season of top gear and all that. So well, overall, yeah. did did you watch the previous season or, or the the uh, the most recent season of Top Gear as well? Yes, yeah, with uh, Chris Evans um, from England, not Captain America, and Matt LeBlanc, and it was it was good. I do. I'm actually really excited for the next season of Top Gear um, because they've got. I said it when Chris Evans said that he was leaving. I was like, all right, they're gonna have. They already have their three people they need to host. Matt LeBlanc, um, Chris Harris, and Rory Reed, who the other two were on their BBC Three um, Extra Gear, um, they were the hosts on that. And it's like you get that, you get those three guys together, you have the new James May, uh, Richard Clarkson, or yeah, James Jeremy. May, yeah, Jeremy Clarkson and Richard Hammond um, for this next generation. It, it, so it's almost like a palate cleanser season. Is yeah. you have to get through the fact that it's not the the show that you you liked before. It's not the people that you might have been watching it for. You say, "All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna check the season out," and you can kvetch all about it for a little while. And then it's like the f- season follow up. It's oh, okay. Well, now I'm already used to it not being the same, but maybe I like these guys a little bit more than who was just on there. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out to Rory Reed too, a CNET alum from CNET UK, who's who's made good. I'm very happy, yeah. excited to see that. Yeah, those scenic people—they uh—they never seem to go anywhere. Some of them. Yeah. <laughs> Rory's the exception. But yeah, so that's my else view, Corey. What do you got? Uh, I just briefly last night. I I've been wanting to check out the series, and I brought it up before we started the show tonight. Uh, you and Beatmaster hadn't even heard of it. It's a Netflix exclusive series called Travelers. It stars Eric McCormick and a bunch of people that I've unfortunately never heard of before. Uh, Mackenzie Porter, Nessa Cooper. I only watched the pilot. And so one of the things that's going on right now is I'm a little bit tired of time travel stories because I feel like, especially on shows like The Flash, where you, when you start to introduce time travel into the, the show, that suddenly becomes all that the show is about. 
I find that a little unfortunate. And it's been so many time travel shows have been popping up. There's a new one that's based off of uh, Time After Time that's coming out, which I really loved that movie when I was a kid. Uh, but I'm not sure if I want to watch a continuing series about it. There's the one that's on NBC, which uh, I think is Timeless. There's been a few. This comes at it from a different side. So this series is uh, people that are about to hit their expiration point, meaning they're about to die. Um, instead of just completely dying, someone jumps in their body a la Quantum Leap. Someone from the future. So in, in the future, which I at this point in the show have not seen, uh, they realize that things have gotten really bad. Most of humanity has been wiped out. They're trying to go back and course correct the planet to fix this before it happens. So we spend the first hour being introduced to people, seeing them. We get a countdown to about a minute before they die, seeing them fall to the ground, kind of black out for a second, come back up, and there's another person living in their body. Now, uh, one of the actresses, uh, the main character that we see first, is... Um, She's got some learning disabilities. She can't read. She stutters. Uh, she works at a library. All of a sudden, a person comes in, and all of those things are gone. Mm. The The counselor that's been working with her realizes that something's wrong. Her doctor realizes something's wrong. They're trying to figure it out. She's talking about her life like, oh, well, I work at a library. I'm a librarian, and I do this and everything. But it turns out that all of the things that they understand about what her life was like was actually false. It was a fake uh, identity kind of set up through her Facebook to make her feel a little bit more normalcy. So she's trying to deal with that. Uh, another one of the the characters, she's a mom. Her husband is an abusive husband who's also a cop. He comes in, punches her. Basically, that's what kills her. But the new person comes in and takes over and is not putting up with this crap anymore. It's It's... Pretty good. And so we spend the first episode with a cop sort of investigating them, uh, studying some things that are going on online and realizing there's some sort of conspiracy happening. He's trailing them around. And that leads into Eric McCormick's character becoming the fifth member of the group. It's pretty cool because it takes it in a different direction than it's not just time travel of jumping back and forth in time, trying to fix history that we've already seen. It's trying to fix history going forward, and I think that that makes it a little bit more palatable. Really good uh, characters, really good acting in it so far. The production values are good. But I think that what happened is that it just fell under the radar because there's so much good stuff coming out on Netflix that they're all kind of like blending into each other now, and you can't tell when something is has hit the stream versus the, all the other stuff. Like the OA is on there right now. There's a bunch of other things that have been hitting. We just saw the commercial for the season two of Stranger Things, and that's all anybody wants to talk about. And I don't blame them because I'm all for that. But I, I feel like this is something that probably got overlooked and maybe deserves a little bit more recognition. It feels not dissimilar to how much I was enjoying the story of Sense8, although Sense8 is filmed in a different way that is just awe-strikingly beautiful. This isn't that, but it is pretty solid. Awesome. I honestly look forward to seeing that, um, <clears throat> or at the very least, you telling me more about it as as it has happened with other shows that we've mentioned. I'm like, oh, wait, that sounds great. I should watch that. 
completely forget about it. You mentioned it again, I'm like, oh yeah, that sounds really good. Tell me more. <laughs> yeah, in about 25 years, uh, Tom and, and Ron Richards are going to do a podcast about it when it comes back. Uh, <laughs> yeah, when we'll they when they do the reboot where they show people in the apocalypse before they leave. Uh, yeah. But I have a minor question about this, which is if the people die, how are you able to re-inhabit their body and not still have the problem that caused them to die? Well, that's that's the interesting thing. It's like it leads up to the point where they're about to die, and I think it – solves it uh one of them is supposed to die from a heroin overdose and i think he shoots up and it just doesn't quite happen in the way that it was supposed to they cut it off at the second before uh, mm -hmm. eric mccormick's character uh which is a spoiler for the first episode is supposed to fall down an elevator shaft they save him from doing that okay uh, all right so in in the the wife's case she was going to get beaten to death uh she does get hit and she does hit her head on a counter but it was going to escalate and because the other person comes in it doesn't get so to they're escalate. essentially oh, saving okay. the body's life but right. don't, they don't feel bad because if they didn't do anything that that person would have died they would have died anyway so now right. this person who was no longer supposed to be a part of the past they can use to influence it interesting yeah, I think what's going on with Netflix now is they aren't putting highlights on every original they have because they have so many. They really don't care. They're just hoping that the people who would like these shows will have them show up in their suggested, uh, you know, tab uh, of shows. And then they don't need to go out and do a whole lot of other marketing. Yeah, I'm not even sure if there's a a made by Netflix or a Netflix exclusive category so much as as you're right. It's just like these things are trending or these things are trending in sci-fi. These things or are trending in horror. Based on the fact that you like such and such, we, we think you might like this too. Yeah, because I had to search for this. I didn't remember the name, but I knew that it starred Eric McCormick. And I was like, I, I want to see this. So what am I looking for exactly? Yeah, yeah. And it was nice to finally be on Netflix and look for something specific as opposed to just going through the list for two hours and falling asleep. I'm a big fan of time travel stories, but I know what you mean. Like a lot of people really like timeless on NBC and I couldn't get through the first episode. It just, just felt really cheap. Yeah. To, uh, and I love the people that were in it, but yeah, I, no, the, answers I, are great. the storyline was just, it felt such a rehash of so many other shows that are either on right now or that I've seen over time that I couldn't get into it. Yeah, I think with Timeless, I got through the first three episodes, and it was like, like okay, if I really wanted this, I can get the time travel episodes in Doctor Who, or you know the other, or you know the Flash, and have you know or or uh, not Flash, uh, Legends of Tomorrow actually, and get you know check off more of my likes than you know these actors and actresses that I do you know, find that I do like watching and all that stuff and continuing on that way. Yeah. It just, it felt really safe to me, which I mean, it's, the, it's a pilot. And I always say pilots are a bad example, probably the worst example of whether yeah. or not you're going to like a show. For sure. Uh, but it just, at that point in time, I already knew that it was, it was a long shot. Yeah. So Tom, you have a TV show here um, that, I think me and Corey have both seen, but it's The Expanse. So how far are you? See, the season premiere? Is that how? Yeah, so uh, season two of The Expanse uh, came back this past week, and it is a science fiction show 
based on a series of books by James S.A. Corey. James S.A. Corey is actually a team of Daniel Abraham and Ty Frank. I am a huge fan of the books. Uh, Babylon's Ashes is the latest that just came out in December. So this this pick of mine is for the books and the television show. Uh, and you you decide which one you want to get into first. I, I can't tell you you could go wrong either way. The books are fantastic. Uh, they introduce you to this whole world and these characters, but the television show really capitalizes on that world and those strong characters that James S.A. Corey built and turns it into a compelling TV show that stands on its own. The rough version of it, both for the book and the TV show, is that Mars has separated from Earth sometime in the past and so is trying to terraform Mars into becoming a new Earth-like planet. Uh, the Earth is, is, is run by the United Nations now. It's a unified planet. And there are a ton of colonies and mining stations and research stations in the asteroid belt, as well as some of the smaller moons, uh, like the moons of Saturn and Jupiter. And those people are referred to as the belters. The belters are essentially under the thumb of either Mars or Earth or both. And because they grow up in these low gravity situations in a place where you have to be very careful about conserving air and conserving water, they have a culture that is distinct from Earth and Mars. The people tend to be a little taller and a little skinnier because of the low gravity. They have their own language that is a melange of several Earth languages. And they all sort of hate Earth and Mars, particularly Earth. So there's a, a loose association called the Outer Planets Alliance, the OPA, which is run by a guy who's actually from Earth named Fred Johnson. And at the beginning of season one, an incident happens that sorts of ignites all these tensions between the Earth, Mars, and the OPA. And the suspicion is that someone's trying to start a war here. And in season two, after an incident on one of the asteroids, with this blue gunk that was killing people, we discover a little more about what's going on and who's behind it. Uh, and so I, I hear it often described as Game of Thrones meets Battlestar Galactica uh, because it's got this political element that's very Game of Thrones-like, but it's got this living in space element uh, with a very true to what it would actually be like to live in, in space uh, element that's very Battlestar Galactica. No, yeah. The one of the big things that I that I uh, enjoyed because I got into it when it was on Netflix and then got almost all the way done. Like I think I was on episode six and then I just forgot about it and then re caught up on it on Amazon Prime. Was the sound like they do this super accurate thing of if the camera is out in space, you hear nothing or it is very muffled and all that. And I'm like, wait. My speakers work. Wait, oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Think, that's that's the one. Like one of the things I caught on to, and I'm like, sold. Watching more. Well, one of the things I loved about the books, and they carried this through in the TV show, is that James S. A. Corey, uh, particularly Ty Frank, I think, tried to say, "We're not going to invent warp drive. We're not going to invent anything that you couldn't do based on the scientific knowledge we have today. So it's going to take a long time." to go from one place to another. Uh, and a lot of the stuff in the book talks about 
how having a battle in space is quite different because nothing ever stops, right? There's yeah. no, no wind resistance to make something stop. So when you shoot a rail gun, those bullets just keep going uh, and they don't fall anywhere. They just keep going in a straight line. Uh, and, and when you're moving around in, in high G, it's going to be hard on your body uh, when, you, when you try to outmaneuver someone and take evasive maneuvers. And so if there is a sort of invented technology, it's the drugs that get pumped into you by the chairs and the ships uh, to help you deal with all of those high G forces. Yeah. And, and the fact that there is a, a people, a populace, that has sort of been bred to be better at that. Yeah. I like the fact that it, it sort of reminds me of half-elves from uh, Dungeons & Dragons, except they form their own society, essentially, because half-elves are usually they're just on the cusp of either humans or elves. But if they had all gathered and, and built something together, then maybe they would have been uh, a more successful race. Yeah. And and like, that's like, what the Belters like sound like. If the wizards and the elves and the humans had all used the half-elves to build a bunch of space stations had <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> used them to build their castles to keep it within the fantasy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Now, Tom, you've, you've been a fan of the books for a while. Yeah. Uh, we were lucky enough on sword and laser to interview Ty and Daniel right before the second book came out. So I, I read Leviathan wakes the first in the series right before we did that interview. And I loved it. Uh, and then I've been reading them as they came out uh, ever since. And you you had a similar luck with uh, Man in the High Castle, where it was a book series that you really liked, and all of a sudden they made a TV series for it. Yeah, us. I can't claim I read The Man in the High Castle when it came out in the 60s because I wasn't alive yet, but uh, it was a book that I actually discovered because I was taking a film class at the University of Illinois, and we read Blade Runner. And in the reading material for the course, there was a, a I can't remember if it was a journal article or, or just a, a newspaper article, but it was something we'd been assigned to read about Blade Runner and the book by Philip K. Dick, Do Android Stream of Electric Sheep, which mentioned the man in the high castle. And so I went and I checked it out of the library and read it and loved it. And it's my favorite book. When someone asks me what my favorite book is, it's usually what I recommend because it's about what happened if, Germany and Japan had won World War II. And it's also got the typical Philip K. Dick paranoia and an interesting weaving of plots. So I was really excited when Amazon did the pilot of that. And yeah, that, that seems to have turned into a pretty successful show in its own right. And it's, and it's even going beyond, well beyond what Philip K. Dick had written in the book. Yeah. So Hollywood needs to be paying attention to Tom Merritt's bookshelf because apparently he picks all the great stuff that is now being made <laughs> into TV series. When Memoirs Found in a Bathtub by Stanislav Lem is made into a TV show or movie series, then you'll know that <laughs> I'm infallible. Nice. But yeah, so, and we'll have links to all three of our picks in our show notes. Um, so yeah, that is it for the Else Fuse. We will be right back. Look! Up in the sky! It's a bird! It's a plane! No, it's... What is that exactly? You know, Superman is an extraterrestrial, so you may hear us talk about him on the Alien Invasion Podcast. Hey, it's Dave Nelson inviting you to join myself, Brad Ludwig, and Anessa Moyens for our weekly discussion about all things not of this Earth, whether they be gray or green creatures from fiction, the latest stories from the world of science regarding the real possibility of life out there somewhere, or the claim from somebody saying they're already among us. We'll talk about it. You'll hear three stories from the week's news, a featured sighting 
and our entertainment picks or warnings rated on a scale of one to five flying saucers, of course. All of it and more every week on the Alien Invasion podcast, part of the Galactic Netcast network of shows. Find us at gncasts.com slash aliens or wherever you subscribe to podcasts. And it is time for Else Words. This is our discussion, and we're just going to discuss about Tom. You know, we're going to pretend he's not even here, and we're me and Corey are just going to going to gab about him. Oh, great! No, no, no. We're going to have an, <laughs> we're going to we're going to talk with Tom because you know, like I mentioned in his introduction, this this guy, you know, Tom. Besides being you know one of my podcasting heroes here, um, he's doing so many things, hosting so many shows, um. And writing, that Tom Merritt is a hoopy fruit who really knows where his towel is. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but yes, we figured we would, you know, ask you, and also because you got Pilot X coming out um, here in, in a little bit and all that. So, um, you know, t- so Tom, well, first off, um, can I just say thank you for naming your, uh, your f- teams in uh, FSL tonight because I use them for fantasy football? Oh yeah, good. I'm glad to hear that. That's great. That's, you know, it's team effort. Me and Justin both. Yeah, I I I will say um, it's fun to see that the trophy for my fantasy football league when we actually had one was won by the L.A. Guardians of the Galaxy. Ah, oh, fantastic. That was one of my favorite <laughs> jokes. The L.A. the the Anna the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim joke on yes. the Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> and then this year I had, um, oh gosh, what was the team? Um, oh, I'll have to think of the team. But didn't do quite so well with this this the, uh, the other team like just couldn't get it should have kept with L.A. Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, but yeah, did so Xandar. I think I think it, no, I think I did a different team because I was looking uh, through. I'm like, all right, I need to get a different one. Um, I'm actually going to check real quick. But no, so I mean, what what? Uh, how do you come up with all these different ideas for shows to do like? Like, like, I mean, like we've mentioned, you've got the damn fine podcast, you've got, you know, FSL tonight's, you know, cord killers, you know, DTNS. Some of them seem a little obvious from past works, but others, it's just like, okay, let's take a listen. Yeah. It's, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know where the ideas come from. It's, it's a combination of, of my interests intersecting with something that, people seem to be interested in talking about intersecting with people that I want to work with. So, I mean, current geek is essentially Scott Johnson and I saying, let's do a show about all the things that both of us like to talk about. Yeah. Uh, and the stuff that doesn't yeah. make it into your shows throughout the week. Yeah. It's sort so, of the catch all for all the other geek stuff. Totally. It's, it's just a chance for us to, to shoot the breeze and have some cool folks on and talk with them. FSL tonight particularly uh, came out of a post uh, Dragon Con discussion between myself, Justin Robert Young, and Veronica Belmont, uh, where we were we were seeing people with these T-shirts that kind of were imitating sports teams, uh, and I, I think the one that set me off was the fantasy baseball T-shirt, where it's a, a wizard uh, with a baseball bat, um, and I was like, what if there was a league and the the, the teams were all of these different tribes right like the star trek people and 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 you were cheering for them and and it just kind of built itself from there because justin and i both are also sports fans and justin's a huge fan of sports talk radio uh and i i've watched and listened to enough myself that i could mimic that style and so it just became fun 
Um, but the other stuff, yeah, Brian Brushwood and I wanted to do a show together. So we, we came up with, with frame rate, which eventually became cord killers. Uh, and the, you know, that's just kind of the way it goes with all of these. Yeah. I, I think that was more of a self-validating question because that's how this show came to be too, but it was with, with Glenn Rubenstein before he, before he said, I'm too busy. I can't do it. And me and Corey were like, all right, it we'll happens. continue it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the the real question is, how do you find all the time? Uh, it, it seems like that's that's the problem is that you you come up with a, a great concept for a show, but being able to execute that show uh, regularly and and hitting a level of production to to make it both worth your time and to be able to show it to fans and have the fans feel like it's worth their time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that that's complicated. Now you're obviously you're uh, I mean you're new to this and that's why we're leading you through this whole thing. Thank you. But, uh, but you work with with people like Veronica and Justin and Brian and Scott and and Ron um, to that are all pros that all know how to make shows that have been doing this longer than almost anybody. When it comes to the podcasting world, you, you know, all the experts and have worked with all the experts, I think. Um, but it's still, it's tough. It's tough to just say, okay, we're, we're going to talk about a show that's 20 years old and yes, has a revival coming up, but can we find the audience for this show at this point? Or is it, is it still either forming because the new ser- series hasn't started or is it, just missed its its mark because 20 years ago yeah i mean with damn fine podcast it was essentially me and ron richards emailing each other in excitement that showtime announced they were going to bring back the show and and immediately saying we should do a podcast about it and all the shows i do have started with i really want to do x and then we say okay well how would we make a show about that that takes the excitement we have and turns it into something enjoyable to listen to. And I I think that's one of the keys is doing things that you're interested in. Uh, You know, a couple other tricks are to go live to tape so that you don't have a lot of editing time uh, and, and, and using the, the listeners and the audience to, to help guide you with emails and things like subreddits and stuff like that. Yeah, and you keep it interesting with great guests and stuff too. Definitely, um, it, it, it's nice every every week. I'm finding new people or people that I just haven't heard for a while uh, show up on Current Geek, and I'm always super excited. I, although I I have to say my favorite guest still continues to be Jenny Josephson. Ah, Jenny's great. Yeah, really awesome. She's so good. Beat has threatened to uh, bring her onto the show at some point, and I always get nervous <laughs> about it. Oh, she um, would, she'd be great. I'm sure she'd love to do it too. Oh, she'd be great. I would just be like. <laughs> that or like uh chris farley looking at paul mccartney just um hi <laughs> right. you're awesome um but yeah i i i think that that's the key is that you have to you have to love and believe in what you're you're talking about and if you don't love it people will pick up on that really fast yeah uh but you to me are not a typical podcaster because one of the things that i've always looked at you as is um you're like the walter concrete walter concrete i can't walter concrete yeah that's just a big block of concrete you're you're just a solid mass of man um (laughs) you you are you're a newscaster to me you're someone that i trust to bring me a story and not weigh it down with your opinion more than the actual details of the story whereas i mean we this is opinion show this is a a 
review show. This is a news, but we put our spin on things show. And there's a lot of those out there. And, and, and I get that. I love that. I value that. But you're someone who always sees things from multiple angles and and you always lead with, you know, full disclosure, my wife works for now Fandango, right. um, which we've we've stolen a lot on the show. And I think that that's something that's very incredible it is it, in a point in time right now where things are very politically charged. I would always trust you to bring me a story no matter what it's about. And I would get the actual facts of it before I get the opinion. And if you were going to state opinion, you would let me know ahead of time first, this is just opinion. And that I think challenges me when I do stuff that I don't just lead with opinion first, uh, or that I at least make it very clear that I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, (laughs) That's the hard thing is, is to, to actually know what you know and what you don't know, not to get too Rumsfeld about it. Like to, to say like this, these are the things that we're sure of the, and, and I, I've actually, you know, taken the time to double check and say like, and, you know, and see that the reliable sources say this and which are the things that people are saying, but we don't know if it's actually true. Uh, and, and then what's my opinion? I, because I'm not trying to be Walter Cronkite. I'm not even trying to be a newscaster. I'm just trying to start from a position of good information. Uh, so, so when, especially when I do daily tech news show, but, but even in my other shows, I want to lay out the actual facts for people to say this, you know, yeah, everything is subject to interpretation. Everything is subject to spin, but there are certain things that we can all agree are true. Like, IDC said that Android shipped 97 million units last quarter. You know, we can all debate how accurate IDC is, but it's got a pretty good track record. And we, we're not going to dispute that IDC isn't saying that, right? And then we go to, well, somebody's saying that uh, next quarter Android devices are going to fall because they're going to stop uh, using, you know, bundling in Gmail. They're going to charge for that. Or, and it's like, okay, who's saying that? How reliable are they? And then we can go to opinion. Then we can have the discussion of based on the things that we know and how reliable those things are, what do we think? And and to me, that's that's just a good way to have a better discussion. Yeah, and that's that's exactly why I've, I've always looked at you with such value. Uh, going back to your CNET days is that you're someone that you would say something and I would feel absolute trust in what you were saying um, wow. before I thought of you <laughs> as being just entertaining and, and funny guy, Tom Merritt. It's like, no, but here's Tom Merritt and Tom Merritt knows his shit. Well, I try to. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad you think so anyway. So the, the, the fooling is working. you fooled one more person (laughs) well and the other the other thing going back to the cnet days especially on buzz out loud i'm also very argumentative so uh you know when i talked to molly and veronica and jason uh whatever side they took i would try to figure out like okay but what's the other side what's the other angle yeah no absolutely that's that's honestly to you know since Corey's gonna say hey here's how this influenced me i think that's influenced me too because it's like I've always been able to see both sides fairly easily, but never quite verbalize both sides. Like even with my day job as a phone salesman in a target, you know, I, you know, I'm an Android fan. I mean, I've got freaking Samsung watch, Samsung phone, you know, all that stuff. I've, you know, eat, sleep and breathe, you know, Android. I don't let that affect when people are like, Oh, I want to get an iPhone. I'm like, sure. And then, 
I'm like, here, here's what they have about it from what I know, usually from what I've heard from Tom Merritt. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and I'll spout off the facts that I know and they're like, oh, okay, that sounds cool. I'm like, but if you want, there's also this thing that's coming out here soon or this what you can get over here. And if it sways them, cool. If not, oh, well, they got what they want. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I got a lot of that from Leo as well. I mean, Leo really was, was what brought me into working in tech. Uh, what got me pushed over to working at the the tech bench in Best Buy and working for Geek Squad down the road and and feeling like I wanted to educate people about tech uh, as much as possible and not just from the point of view of like oh well AMD is is the best processors versus Intel or whatever um, going through those phases it's like no here's the reason why I would prefer it but that's not necessarily your usage case um, but that's the thing is that through Leo and you, I've discovered other people that I respect and value so much, uh, like Scott Johnson, Jason Howell. Uh, Eileen and Jason, I found without even realizing Eileen's relationship to you, um, but certainly through through them being a twit. And, and it's just, there's so many great people that I think you've all sort of congrued together and it makes a perfect sense. And it gives you this great base that if you want to be doing things like podcasting or doing tech journalism, or doing technology in a teaching respect or anything else. These are the people that you kind of go and you draw from. Yeah, it's like the tech TV extended family, uh, because, you know, Leo, obviously, the master at help and how to uh, came not just out of tech TV, obviously, had a big career before that, but he sort of led the charge out of tech TV with Twit. Uh, and Kevin Rose and Roger Chang, who produces for me now. And there's just so many people who started to do things. And then we started to all pick up folks as well. So, uh, you know, Molly Wood and Veronica, I feel like are part of that same lineage, even though they, those two never worked at Tech TV. They, they sort right. of embody that same spirit. And then Brian Brushwood and Justin Robert Young and, and for me, that's to, that's just my branch of the tree. There's there's all these different people doing all these great things. Yeah, there are the Beatles, and then there are the people that were influenced by the Beatles, and then five generations later, there are the people who were influenced by those bands. That you go, yeah, but remember the Beatles? You know that, that you kind of owe a lot to them. <laughs> and you don't realize, like, it. no, who are the Beatles? And yeah, <laughs> weren't they on a a video game before? Yeah, I, they were a cartoon, <laughs> right? Yeah. Oh, that um, but no, the, that five generations, that's me because I came in through Brian to then discover, you know, go up the tree and I'm like, oh, wow. And now it's like I'm doing this, doing this here where I'm talking with, you know, I'm talking with Corey and Beat and Evan on a weekly basis and I'm getting to meet people that, like I said, are, you know, podcasting heroes of mine and, you know, just flat out interesting people to talk to. And it's like, this is cool. I, if, if I could do this for a living, I would do this. Just, you know, sit here and just talk to people, you know, well, that's the beautiful thing of what the internet has done. And it's the thing that I'm always constantly on guard to identify if we're starting to lose it, which is that permissionless ability, not just to innovate. You hear Silicon Valley people talking all the time about permissionless innovation, but permissionless contact, just all of us being able to go out there and, meet and talk and share ideas uh, with, without necessarily having someone in between that says, oh, well, you have to pay for that or you have to ask for that. You're like, you, you pay to get into the, the internet and then that's it. Once you're out there, you can do what you want. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully it stays that way. Yeah. I hope so too. 
Uh, so speaking of of creating art and and losing the gatekeepers to your audience, tell us a little bit about writing Pilot X. Now you've self published stuff before, but Pilot X you've done through Inkshares, uh, if I'm correct. Yeah, uh, I'm sorry to tell you, Corey, it's a time travel story. <laughs> <laughs> it's another travel story uh but yeah this is uh what what i've gotten the habit of doing over the years was writing a book during national novel writing month which happens every year in november uh and then taking a, a, a little while usually a few years to polish the book up give it to an editor get it cleaned up and then self-publish ink shares came along and we started working with them on sword and laser and what they do is say, look, you've got an idea for a book, put it up on Inkshares. If you can get enough people to pre-order it, we'll publish it. So they have two levels. One's called the Quill level, which is basically self-publishing on steroids. If you get 250 people to pre-order your book, they'll publish it as an ebook uh, and they'll get it out there in front of people. They won't do the full publishing work, but they'll do, you know, they'll do a light edit and they'll do a little more than you would get if you just went on Amazon and published it yourself on CreateSpace. If you get 750 pre-orders, then they treat you as a signed author. So instead of having editors doing slush reads and talking to agents, they let the crowd pick what books they'll publish. And those those fully published books get a full-on edit, they get a copy edit, they get a cover treatment, they get a narrator for the audiobook, they get sent to Publishers Weekly and, and put in the books in print and, you know, everything that a normal publisher would do, even up to, you know, shopping it around for movie and TV rights and things like that. So I decided after we, we co-published as an imprint with Inkshares a few books, I decided to, to just put one of my NaNoWriMo books up there instead of self-publishing it and was lucky enough to get enough pre-orders and it's coming out March 14th. Now, I, I don't mean to steal your thunder there, but do you mean books like like, <laughs> like The Life Engineered? You know, I didn't even have the video fully uh, up and I saw the <laughs> bottom of it. I'm like, oh, that's JF's book. I yep. recognize yeah. that book anywhere. <laughs> um, I was yeah, actually- JF was was the introducer of us to ink shares. Uh, I, I think he was the introduction for a lot of people. Uh, but certainly in the podcast community, uh, to what Inkshares did. And uh, we were very excited to see how successful he's been with it. His his next book is coming up for them. And then I was listening to him on Mind of a Geek uh, that he was on this weekend today. And he's writing some books for Ed Greenwood, which is incredible. Now, that's not through Inkshares, but it's still like this is a guy who just a couple of years ago was publishing his first book and doing it through essentially a crowd for crowdfunding thing i think that's brilliant and i i think it's really cool to see you pick up on that too because you have been publishing books for a long time and i've I followed you with your doing your nano stuff i've tried nano a couple of times i haven't gotten to the polish and edit part yet but it's it's still incredible to me to see something that you've done um that you do as a as a personal challenge to yourself and then you take it to that next level and you put it out there and and show it to an audience yeah, it's 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 a world of difference to have a team of people helping you versus just going out and saying, okay, I have a friend who's an editor, I'll hire her to do an edit, and she does a great job, and she's, she's a professional. So when I got the editor through Inkshares, it was a very familiar process, but it's also, you know, a one-pass situation, and then I just put that out, right? I didn't have anybody else looking at it. I didn't have a second editor or anything like that. Uh, and 
And it's up to me to go out and tell people about it. And the reason I did that was surely out of laziness. I didn't want to pursue an agent. I didn't want to pursue marketing. I just wanted to write a story and have some people read it and tell me what they thought of it. With InkShares, I was like, all right, well, let's step it up to the next level. Not fully to the agent publisher level, but almost there. And what I had learned with JF's book and the other Sword and Laser books that we did was this is a real publisher. What InkShares does, and I didn't realize this until we were going through all of the, you know, God in the Shed or, or uh, the Life Engineered and, and the other books, is that they're not kidding around. Like this is this is all the things that a publisher does. They are a real publisher. The only difference is it's up to the crowd to decide what goes on their list. Yeah, instead of having somebody who goes out there and, and headhunts for writers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you you have them come to you and you have them sort of prove themselves by being able to draw an audience in the first place. Yeah. Which is not a terrible way to go. I mean, you you as a self-published author, you try to build your audience yourself. You try to do it either through podcasting uh, or through social media, just in general, whatever you can do to, to kind of build it up and say, hey, also, I, I wrote this thing. Uh, maybe you want to check it out. I'd love to, to hear what you have to think about it. Yeah, exactly. And, and so yeah, I take all of that experience and then build up the pre-orders to get it going and then hand it over uh, to something. And, and it's, you know, I'm not going to lie. It's a thrill to see Publishers Weekly writing up Pilot X. It's a huge thrill to see Gary Witta with a poll quote on the front of the review copy that went out listed as, you know, screenwriter of Rogue One. It's, it's, it's crazy. And, and seeing it up in Audible is fantastic. It's, 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 it's a whole different level of publishing. As a fan, I get those those emails that come in about once a week or so from from InkShares that just say, "Hey, here's how many people discovered Pilot X this week. Here's how yeah. many people bought Pilot X this week." And I always get super excited because I'm like, you know, Tom just sold more books, you know, and that's through InkShares itself. Now, is that also showing the numbers sold through Amazon or other places? I think or that's is it just, just the stuff that InkShares is selling directly. No, I don't think yeah. that includes pre-orders and and things like that. That's just really really truly awesome and i'm i'm always excited for you when i see stuff like this take off because you're not you're a multi-talented person but it's one of those things that i don't think people realize the things that you do outside of podcasting or when they're surprised like oh what's tom doing to show about other stuff when i thought he was a tech guy yeah 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 for sure no it's i've i've always wanted to write i i've been writing longer than i've been podcasting and uh, i've always wanted to talk about different things than just technology. I, I was doing other things besides technology before I even started working on the web at Tech TV. Those are just the things that kind of rose to prominence first. And it doesn't mean I don't enjoy doing them. I totally do. Well, I mean, it, it's sort of like you created or you're one of the creators of the business of, of tech uh, reporting. Because I don't think there was a lot of that. There certainly wasn't the focus on it. It was like, okay, you get the occasional things. And and I grew up reading Family Computing Magazine yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and PC World and, uh, and all those other things too. But to have it become like, oh, now there's a station that you can watch that's full of this information. Right, uh, right. Like I lived off of Tech TV for a couple of years there when it was when it was going strong. Me too. And, yeah. I paid my talent. <laughs> <laughs> It it pretty much was was ninety percent of my consumption. Wow, that's great. I miss it. Yeah, <laughs> but at, at the same time, the the fact that you guys have gone on to take control of your own destiny with it, and you didn't let it drying up affect you to the point where you stopped doing what you were doing, right. or yeah, you moved absolutely. over to something else, which would have been okay. It's not like we would have 
lost Tom Merritt, but it still would have been. Well, one of one of the things that I, one of my first jobs at the Screensavers was coming up with the topic of the day, and essentially what I had to do was look over all the news of the day and prepare a short bit about each one to present in our daily production meeting so we could pick which one would become our main poll question at the top of the show, and then I would write a column about it. And that process is essentially the process that grew into Buzz Out Loud and Tech News Today and now Daily Tech News Show, which is look at all the tech news of the day, write up short bits about them, and then expand on the ones that are the most interesting. Yeah, and when you're not doing that, you make an almanac about it. Yeah, right. About uh, just keep yeah, keep all the events in history and keep adding to it. <laughs> yeah. So, um, if you could do a podcast about anything that you're not doing right now, what would that be? Like, I mean, that's that's a horrible question. You're tempting me to to like come up with even <laughs> more ideas, which I don't need. I I come up with ideas <laughs> about this all the time. I'm like, and and. Some of my friends like Justin uh, make fun of me when I'm like, hey, I got an idea for a new podcast. He's like, hey, what's new? Um, <laughs> but yeah, I've recently, one of the things that I've, I've wanted to do is like a, a weekly essay show where I just, may, maybe sometimes with a guest and maybe sometimes just me, just kind of dig deep into what I think about a particular issue. Uh, and not necessarily a technology issue, like just could could be anything. Um I've I've often thought about doing a this weekend everything, uh, where I invite folks on and all my guests each bring in one burning issue. Uh, so it's kind of a similar idea to the to the essay uh, episode, but but sort of leaving the door wide open so that somebody can just bring in something that they're most passionate about. And then the trick there is having good enough bookings that you have a variety of people that are willing to comment on each other's ideas and expand all of our understanding of it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's, that's also a show that I've plotted out in my head more than a little bit. And I uh, I, a couple times in post shows. Yeah. It, 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 I think that there's something that when you when you have such great stimulating conversations with with fantastic guests all the time, it it starts to make you think about things in a more philosophical nature. Yeah, yeah. and and you're drawn more to the discussion uh, and the back and forth than you are to just uh, review shows and comics uh, or horror movies like I do on my other show. It's like I want to go deeper with these people uh, because I just I have such a great time talking yeah. to them. Well, uh, I think that probably brings us to the close of the show. I do want to just make one more little fanboy statement. Uh, a few years ago in uh, my role-playing group, we did a superhero game. And the basis for my superhero character, which is now the basis for a series of books that I am plotting out and trying to work on, uh, is you. Oh, she- okay. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> Not you specifically. He's not a podcaster. Uh, he's he's a younger gentleman. But my whole inspiration was based around Tom Merritt, and uh, the character's name is actually Merritt, as as like a merit badge. I I just it's one of those things that I've always kind of like had in the back of my head. It's like someday I'm going to write this book, and it's going to be about Tom Merritt, and I'm going to be able to go up to him and and show it to him and just say thank you for this. Well, I am extremely honored, uh, and. 
what one of the books that is is still being edited, uh, and I'm going to self-publish. I probably won't put this one on Inkshares. Uh, you can say is, it's me. I'm okay with that. Is well, it's not based on you, sadly. It's not quite that much uh, turnabout as fair play, but it's it's based on the hosts of the Angry Chicken, because the the year that I was writing that NaNoWriMo, they had just launched their show, and I had their voices in my head, and I was like. I, I, I can make all these characters talk like these three people and they're cool people and it's fun. So I guess why the reason I'm saying that is I totally understand that idea of like having a personality in your head and you're like, oh, I want to just make that into a character. So I'm honored. Thank you. Oh, absolutely. I think Eileen's in there too. <laughs> Woo, I'll tell her. So Tom, where's the easiest place for people to find the, the things that you do? Uh, yeah, probably the website, tommerritt.com, T-O-M-M-E-R-R-I-T-T.com. Uh, it collects together a page with links to all my shows and blog posts for every show as that gets posted and, and all kinds of good stuff like that. Nice. And if you, if you listeners want to contact us by leaving us a voicemail, you can do that at 805-328-3966, or you can email us mail at elsnerds.com. Um, all of our subscription links can be found under gncast.com slash subscribe. Um, the Facebook page, um, just search for Galactic Netcasts. Um, you can follow us on Twitter. The show is at Else Nerds. The network is at Galactic Netcasts. Um, our producers, Beatmaster80, Mr. Underscore Fusion. Um, I can be found at that Gregor. Corey, where can people find you? Uh, you can find the comics that I help publish every week at donutscomics.com. All right, and the final thing is to be said is this has been a Don't Tell Glenn production. We will see you next week. Or else Tom Merritt. <laughs>